Thanks for being here. Honestly, thanks for being here. Uh, today, as Kurt said, we are having a conversation. We're continuing on, really, in a conversation. We've been at this for a couple of weeks now. We've been asking this million-dollar question, where's God, when there's no happy ending? And today, as he said, I'm going to be speaking about the language of loss and why knowing the language of loss is important. And just so you know, if you're not familiar with these Point Church, I'm one of those guys who likes to bring a lot of passion and likes to, to bring a lot of energy or enthusiasm into a sermon. And this is kind of a weird sermon. I, in preparation for it, as well as in preaching it the first sermon, I, I've, I, I've felt the weight of it. And I know that you're going to, too. And so I want to tell you guys right now, I don't know all of your stories. I know some of your stories. But I do believe that every single person who is in this room right now has the chance to be able to take something away from this day that might, might ultimately change your future or somebody else's. So I want to encourage you. If you're a believer, obviously, tune in as much as you can. If you're not, and you're just here because you're like, oh, man, I got drug here, or there's something going on in my life, and now I felt like somehow I needed to connect with God or whatever that is, I think there's something for you too. Now, about this language of loss. I got to tell you, there, there are moments in my life, and one of them happened just the other day, where I realized that there is a language that is out there that I don't know. And maybe I should know. Take a look at this video. It'll, it'll illustrate it for you. Avi, he's amazeballs. He's like the hottest hottie that ever hottied. He's like a hottie times infinity plus another infinity. And his smile is totes adorbs. Totes my goats. It's cray cray adorbs. Totes my goats. <laughs> Did anybody besides me the first time you saw that commercial do that kind of a... What the what? What are they talking about? What are they saying? I, I saw that and I stared at the TV and disbelief and confusion. And I, I saw that illustration, that, that video, and I was going to use it today. I used it today and I was talking with Scott, one of our pastors on staff here. And he said, same thing with me. In fact, I grabbed my kid, my teenage kid, and we sat down and we looked this stuff up on the internet on Google. And sure enough, it's a language. <laughs> Here's my point. Is it important that we understand the language of totes goats? If you have a teenage son or daughter, yes. Yes, it is important. It's a way for you to be able to communicate with them. It might sound strange and it might sound weird, but don't, don't discredit the value of having a language that you can speak with somebody else. And folks, the language of loss is a language that you can speak with somebody else. And it has power, great power. Problem with it is this, there's no way that you can go and learn this language the easy way. You can't sign up on college, or at a college, you, you can't get the Rosetta Stone, and sorry for the plug for them, but uh, you can't you know, just take that home and, hey, I'm familiar now with the language of loss. No, the only way that you can get that way is to experience loss. You suffer. You take one on the chin, you, you, you suffer. That's the only way you can learn it. And then you've got it. And sometimes the expression of it and the dialect of it and the, all its little nuances is something that we don't even really understand. We just know I'm expressing something differently than I ever have before, and it's pain. Now, I know I've gone through that. 
I know some of your stories. I know many of you have gone through it too. I don't know where everybody's at this morning, but I'm going to address everybody here this morning is if you're currently experiencing loss. And the reason for that is, is I, I know that for me, and I'm assuming it's true for everybody else, that even though some of my most tragic losses have happened in my past, I'm still suffering today from those things. I'm still having to figure out a way to be able to recalibrate sometimes my own mind just to be able to make it through a a day or a week or a month sometimes because of losses that I have suffered in my life. And so I'm going to address everybody as if we're all experiencing loss here today. And there are three things, just three that uh, more points than anything, things to consider, thoughts to allow to enter into your head as we address this issue of loss. Here's the, the first point. It's relatively simple. You can write it down if you want to. Loss is an equal opportunity offender. Loss is an equal opportunity offender. Here's why that's so important. Maybe you're like me. Years ago, a loss had happened in my life. And what it was, it was the second time that I had experienced a miscarriage and the loss of a dream, the loss of uh, really a purpose for me. At the time, I was, it was much younger and I was involved in a Christian community. And after expressing this, a woman, a God-fearing woman, a woman that I had respect for, said these words to me. Matt, this is God's way of telling you you're not ready to be a dad. Yeah. Now, for some of you, I heard the reaction. Some of you are probably thinking, dude, you went nacho libre on her, didn't you? (laughs) Pile drive, punch to the throat. No, I I didn't do any of that. In fact, here's what I did. I actually listened to her poisonous words, and I call them poisonous for a reason. And they infiltrated my mind, they infiltrated my soul, they began to have an impact on my heart, and it changed the way I viewed God, and it changed the way I viewed me. Here's why. You see, I would be willing to admit, and I was willing to admit at the time, I'm not ready to be a dad. I get that. I get that. I admit that. I'm selfish. There are areas of undiscipline in my life. I'm not as financially secure as what I'd like to be. You know, I don't have it all together. I admit, I'm... I'm not ready to to be a dad. But God, I knew that God would not strike that away from me. He wouldn't remove that away from me. I mean, let's face it. After all, there are a lot of idiotic, stupid, pathetic, and worthless dads that are out there. Can I get an amen? And so if God was really going to stop all the pathetic, worthless dads from not having kids, I would have seen a pattern to that. But what I was seeing everywhere was, no, God was letting losers be dads. He would let people who didn't appreciate children have children. But those who really would... Why not? Why not me? And I began to think that loss isn't an equal opportunity offender, but instead what it is is God. God was doing something here. And here's what I believed. I believed that God was bullying me. I believed that he was manipulating me because I wasn't living my life for him and I knew it and he knew it. I thought what God was doing was like, fine. Do you live your life for me? Uh-uh, no kids for you. So you know what I did? Same thing as most people. I gave God a sign. (laughs) And I rebelled. And I walked away. Now, 
What would have really been nice is for the Christian community, in particular those who were around me, to say this really important truth. Matt, I love you, man. Loss is an equal opportunity offender, bro. This isn't God manipulating you. This isn't God bullying you. This isn't about you, dude. There are all kinds of people who have suffered the same kind of loss, man. It's not, don't personalize this, bro. It's not about you. There's something else going on here. I needed to hear that. Now, that's not all I needed to hear, but I needed to hear that. I need you to hear that. If you're in the midst of a situation right now where you are experiencing loss and you have been tricked into believing somehow, some way, via an enemy, an enemy of God, who would come to you and make you believe with whatever their words that you have been singled out by God and now he is trying to bully you and manipulate you, that is the biggest load of crap. That is a lie. That's not true. And I wish somebody would have said that to me. And then I wish they would have moved on and said the next thing. So here's my second point. Loss is an equal opportunity offender is the first. The second point is this, is loss creates the opportunity, or loss creates community, or at least the opportunity for community. It creates community. Here, here's what I mean by that. Here's an old saying. It, it, it's, it's old because I consider myself to be older. See if you can finish this statement for me. Loudly, okay? Misery loves... Yeah. Bunch of old people out there too. <laughs> Misery loves, of course it's true, but why is that true? Let's think for a minute, why is that true? Here's why. Misery doesn't like to be alone. We like to have a community of people around us who, who, who understands our language maybe, our dialect. They get our pain, they understand our pain, they know what's going on. You know, as you acquire this new language of loss and you start to fight through all of the immediate emotions that come with it, there is a fog that happens at first, there's a little bit of a cloud, but eventually your mind begins to cough and sputter and you start trying to find some sort of meaning to it. And the most natural thing that we do is we will seek out other people who will understand the language of loss without even realizing that's what we're doing. We want or need community. And the craziest thing about that is, is I believe it's, it's hardwired, I believe it's designed, I believe it's instinctive, and I think it was put there by God, and the reason for it is, is that when we experience that kind of a loss, he knows that the tendency is, is for us to withdraw into a place of pain. But what God does is he builds into this, this need for somebody else who will understand us and grasp at least a little bit of meaning and bring that to our attention so that we can learn to live with whatever loss it is that we're suffering from. You know, I had a plan, I nixed it. But my plan was, is during the sermon, I was gonna use an actual illustration. What I was going to do was this. You see, so many times in the course of a Sunday morning, what I will do is I will greet, and I will walk into this auditorium, and I will walk around, and I will, I will shake hands with people. Some of you have probably seen me do that on a regular basis. But what you may not know what I'm doing is, is I am watching you. <laughs> and I'm looking into your eyes and there are things that you're saying that sometimes you don't realize you're saying. See, what I was gonna do is I was gonna step down off of this platform this morning and I was gonna prove a point that there is a language of loss that you can speak without speaking. And you do it with your face and you do it with your eyes. 
And if I were to walk around throughout these aisles right now and just stare into your eyes, I wonder how many of you would not be able to hide the fact that you are hurting. After the first service, a gal walked up to me and she said, two weeks ago, I I showed up at church. I haven't been in church in years. And I showed up at church and you walked up to me and you stuck out your hand and you said, hi, how you doing? And then you realized I wasn't smiling back. And you stared at me for a few seconds there and you said, never mind, I know. And I did. She didn't have to say a word. I understood the language of loss. I didn't know exactly her dialect. I didn't know what she was going through. But I knew she was hurting. Again, not too long ago, a person was out in the middle of the the lobby and we got to talking and I could tell that the conversation was one, and man, there was a lot of story there. And so I said, hey, why don't we meet? Why don't we connect? So this person came, sat down in my office with me, and all I really wanted to do was just hear a story. And through the midst of this story, I began to to weep. I began to kind of feel a sense of, I'm going to lose control here. And and so I kind of fought it, and after a bit, I'm like, I just can't fight this. I just kind of kept weeping. And then after this person got done telling their story, I explained why I was crying. And the reason for it is, is their story was my story. This person was telling a story that was so close to my story. And by the time we got done telling our stories, we sat there wiping snot and tears gloriously away from our face as we found this beautiful thing called community. Two people who understand a language of loss and were able to just connect. Some of you have heard me say this for years. Some of you have only heard it maybe in the last couple of months. But our church is a needs center. There are people who come here all the time with a variety of needs. And what they're hoping, really what they're hoping for more so than any other thing, they're just looking for somebody who will recognize the fact that there's some pain going on in their world. It's so critical. If you're a person who is suffering loss, I need you to hear something. I need you to first and foremost hear, listen, loss is an equal opportunity offender. This isn't God singling you out. Number two, loss creates community. You don't have to go through this alone. Nobody, nobody has to go through it alone. So please don't. Third thing. There's a third thing to this. And that is loss creates opportunity. And I want to break that into two categories. Loss creates opportunity. Opportunity for us, those of us here who are Christians, those of us here who are believers, and opportunity for those who aren't. Just those two categories. I'm not going to create any more. But I want to speak specifically to you who are Christians first. And so for those of you who aren't Christians, and if you're not quite sure, well, just listen anyway, all of you. <laughs> but I want, to stop, I want to talk specifically to Christians, just for a second. And then I want to say something specifically to those who aren't. First, to those who are Christians, I want to share with you a verse, actually two of them. Here's the first one. It's in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. And it's in chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, and it'll be up on the screen. That's what it says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. I want to stop right there. 
I'm not going to unpack that verse, but I, I, I think it's self-explanatory. I mean, I'm not a smart man. There's a lot of redundancy that is built into this verse. I think the primary emphasis on Paul's part is that we would be comforting. Comforting. That God supplies a comfort. He's a merciful father. He's not a manipulative bully. He is a merciful father, and he provides comfort to us, and that is really what we're supposed to be doing now is taking the same comfort that God has given to us, and then we can use that comfort that he's given to us to help other people, to comfort them in the midst of their struggle, to comfort them in the midst of their biggest questions. Where's God when there's, no so, when there's not a happy ending? We're supposed to be there to comfort them. And the reason why this is such a big and important issue to me is because it's my issue. And maybe it's yours too. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes Christians, i.e. people like me, think it's their God-appointed duty to make sure that when somebody is suffering, that they show them the brighter side of things. You know, help them see a new perspective on things. Because if they would just change their thinking a little bit on it, then they would realize, hey, life doesn't suck. There's just a little portion of it that does, and the rest of it's awesome, right? And so some of us as Christians think that, really, it's, it's our responsibility. That we should be filled with joy all the time. And so when we see somebody who's not experiencing joy and they're suffering a little bit, let's get in there and change it to joy. <laughs> There's another passage of Scripture it's Paul again, and he's writing to the church, the, the Gauls, the Galatians, and he says to them this. And I want to read this to you. It's not going to be up on the screen, but it's really short, so. Quote, Galatians 6.2, quote, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. Here's essentially what that kind of looks like for me, preaching to me. A person comes in and they're like, oh, my burden. It sucks. <laughs> and then there's me. Oh, you're right. That does look heavy. That looks terrible. At least you got good, strong arms. <laughs> Stupid, huh? See, God says that I'm supposed to go over there and grab a hold of that. Help them carry it. Take some of that weight off. They're still got it. They still got it. They still got it. You still got it, right? You still got your pain. Somebody comes along and says, I get it. I understand that. It's just nice when they come along and help lift that burden a little bit, isn't it? We don't do that well sometimes as Christians. I know I haven't. And there's a big difference between the style and the attitude and the heart behind it. It's really the difference between empathy and the difference between sympathy. In fact, last week, Kurt had this to say. He said, empathy is feeling pain for someone. Sympathy is feeling pity for someone. Empathy is feeling pain for someone. Sympathy is feeling pity for someone. I can tell you this. I don't want your pity. I know you don't want mine either. And if I've done that, I'm sorry. If you've experienced that, I'm sorry. My bad. Our bad. What God wanted from us for those of you who are not Christians, what God wanted from us who are Christians was that we would be the kind of people who would help carry that burden, who would speak your language of loss, and we would bring comfort to you. And so Christians, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to grow up, get smart, become spiritually a little bit more mature, and treat the opportunities, every single one of them, every single one of them, as if it's an opportunity to be able to help a person see God. That's important, it's huge. That's our opportunity and I wanna challenge 
all the rest of you who are Christians, along with myself, to do that in a great way. Here's a video that might actually help illustrate that better than my words. Take a look at this. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. So, you have an opportunity, Christians. You have the opportunity to show up in a moment, take the language of loss that you have learned because of the things that you have experienced in life and the comfort that you have received by God in the midst of it. And then you show up and you listen to somebody else's loss, their language, and you empathize with them. You feel pain with them. You have an opportunity to do that. Every Sunday, you have an opportunity to do that. It doesn't take a smart person to look in somebody else's eyes and say, I think you're hurting. Am I right? Are you okay? Can I pray for you? Now, as promised for those of you who aren't Christians, self-identified, I'm not identifying you. You have an opportunity too. You have a huge opportunity. You see... We're trying to give you an answer to a question of where's God when there's no happy ending. But I want to turn it around and I want to ask you a question. Where are you willing to let God reveal himself in the middle of your not so happy life? Are you willing to let God crawl down into that hole with you? 
Are you willing to take a chance that God can empathize with you? You have an opportunity. I actually think that you're already exercising that. You wouldn't have showed up here today if you weren't trying to seize that opportunity. You wouldn't be listening to this online. You would have turned it off a long time ago if you, would, if you are listening to it online. The fact of the matter is, is that the reason why you're listening and the reason why you're here is because I think you are taking an opportunity and I want to encourage you to not stop. I want you to continue on this path that you're on right now because you have an opportunity. Where's God when, there no, when there's no happy ending? Where are you willing to let him be? Let me pray for you. Father, I don't know all these people. I know some of them, Lord, and, and the stories that I know and the things that I've heard. I know that there's a lot of people in this room besides me who know loss, who have learned this, this language, this language that we didn't sign up for, we didn't want. I didn't want to know it. But now that I, I know it, I'm grateful, Lord. I'm thankful. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to be able to, to be up here. But I'm just a pastor. I'm just a guy who speaks on your behalf. I can't do what you do, God. If your spirit doesn't move in this place and stir in the hearts of every single person here, then I'm spitting in the wind. So God, I beg of you to do something inside of these people's hearts. Invade their space and make them aware of the fact that you understand all languages and you've created them and you are fluent in them. For those of us who are believers, reshape our minds, reshape our hearts, make us sensitive to the needs of others so that we may comfort them, so that we may be there to provide an answer of our hope in you, even in the midst of things that aren't happy. Do that for us, Lord. You're the only one who can. No fancy words or eloquent speeches will trigger the mechanisms inside of our souls in order to move us with empathy for others. We need you to do that, Lord. And for those who are in this room that, that don't know you, God, again, it's, it's your spirit who draws them to you. And I pray that you would draw them to you now. And for those of you who are hearing me right now who, who aren't believers, Maybe you're thinking, I want to take a step. I want to, I, I want to move forward and continue in this opportunity right now. But I don't know how to do that. I'm going to make a simple prayer. I'm going to say these words. That it doesn't matter about the words. You take them, make the words your own, or just quietly say them in your heart. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. What's important here is what God sees in you. So here's a sample prayer. God, I don't know everything there is to know about you. I don't even know exactly what to call you. Others call you Jesus. Other calls you, call you, others call you other names. I just want to know who you are. I want to know that you're real. And so I invite you to show up in this hole with me and prove yourself. I'm open. I'm willing. I've got a not so happy life and I would love it if you would help me to make sense of the meaning and the purpose in it. I would love it if you would help me to understand why If that's you, and you are offering that up to God right now, I promise you, he is responding. For those of you who are in this room that already know, who already know that God is real, you already know that he would love to be in a relationship with you, but you have boogered it up. You've attempted it before, but you've done your own thing, and now you're at this place where you're 
you're truly ready to just surrender it all. And if that's you, simply offer up in your own words your life over to God and surrender it to him and invite his Holy Spirit to radically change you, and he will. That is a a response that he will always give, to give you more of himself when you ask. Father, I pray that today as we walk away from this place and begin life, all of it that's rest, that's left for us, I pray that in it, Lord, that we would invite you, we would look for you, that we would seek you out in it, all of us, so that you might be able to really provide the answers that we're all looking for. Where are you, God? Where are you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing through this song one more time and pay particular attention to the words of the song. This give me faith. Give me what it is that I need more so than any other thing, which is faith, to believe in you and to trust in you. As we sing through this song, we're going to take an offering. It'll be a chance for those of you who call East Point Church your home to support us, but through giving. I want to thank you for doing that. You guys need to know that there is no other group of people who support this church. The reason why we exist is because of you, so thank you for doing that. After we're done taking the offering, I'll come back up and I'll dismiss us. Oh, my prayer is that God blesses you guys today, and as you go from here, that you really are filled with a sense of purpose about what God wants to do with you in the midst of your loss. And let's face it, like Kurt said, some of you are going to experience that today, whether you like it or not. And so I pray that this is a message that resonates in your soul. Hey, a couple of quick things. We have communion available at both sides of the room if you're interested in taking that. If you have made that prayer your own today, grab one of these packets. They're on each of the tables by the door. There's a Bible in there for you, and there's some other stuff in there for you. We'd love to be able to connect with you and tell somebody. And the last thing, if you'd like prayer, you like someone to physically pray with you today, instead of making your way out, make your way forward. We'll be here ready for you, okay? Thanks. God bless you guys. Go Seahawks.